Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal, bringing 379,000 readers the latest farming news and the best of rural Ireland weekly. Look, you will have heard now that there is a fair measure of anxiety in Gort County Galway about the possibility of an anaerobic digester being built just outside the town. Dried manure was thrown at two politicians attending public meetings against the proposed plant recently and locals are raising funds to take a judicial review of onboard Planola's permission for the facility. In the next few years, the government has plans for up to 200 of these facilities to be built to tackle agriculture and food waste. So do the people of Gort have anything to fear? from anaerobic digestion. Does anyone anywhere have anything to fear? Earlier this week, I went to Gort to hear the campaigners' concerns and I also travelled to Nerny in Kildare to see what goes into the soup of an anaerobic digester. (coughs) Slurry is one of the answers to that question. Green Generations plant is located beside a pig farm. All the slurry travels in a pipe, underground, from the farm, into the enormous main digestion tank, 32 metres in diameter, 12 metres in height. But it's not just slurry. The other main input is a very surprising sight. Down on a conveyor belt here, bread will go in one thin yoghurt. Mountains of food waste, out-of-date bread, Meat past its best before date, rotting bananas, mouldy yogurts. We take all the food waste from Tesco Ireland, all their stores in Ireland comes to us. Shane McGaff, the commercial manager at the facility, shows me a room where 50 or 60 baskets, each six foot high, all stuffed to the top with food waste, have been offloaded from supermarkets around the country. Hedford, Stillorgan, Ratfarnham and pizza, just about everything and anything that that's, is out of date or something wrong with it, you know. Why would I want to put food waste into an anaerobic digester? Is there nothing else I can do with it? Landfill, up to this point, would have been the only other alternative, or straight incineration. But if you do anaerobic digestion, you're able to capture the energy content from the, the food, turn it into renewable energy, and also have a biofertiliser at the end of the process. So it's, it's definitely better than any of the other You would think that the combination of slurry and rotting food would make for a pretty pungent cocktail. But this is one of the biggest surprises. Inside the buildings, yes, there is a smell. Outside, there really isn't. I conducted my own, very unscientific admittedly, but interesting little experiment. With the plant at my back and a gentle breeze coming from the southwest, if I walk northeast, still smelling it. Still smelling it. I'm 15 metres away. I'm 20 metres up beside the road. And that's it. I don't smell anything now and the wind is blowing directly towards me. Slurry and food waste go in, digestate and biomethane come out. Digestate, basically another name for a fertiliser that can be spread on fields and is a much less energy-intensive alternative to chemical fertilisers. If someone was to to look at it, and anyone who's seen a a farm would know what cattle slurry looks like, it looks almost identical, slightly darker in colour, and probably has a a lower odour than than animal slurry, but it's actually a better fertiliser for the land than, than, than pure animal manure. And methane as well? 
Yes, so the methane that comes off the process is what's captured and used in our facility to make renewable energy, so electricity for the electricity grid or renewable natural gas. One of the concerns that some people seem to have locally is the amount of traffic in and out of a place. How many deliveries a day and how many times are you taking digestate and uh, methane out of here? Um, the, the digestate will be going out during the, the slurry spreading season, so you know, February to October roughly, and um, probably a couple of tractor loads a day. And then in terms of delivery feedstock, you know, maybe a couple of them a day as well. What, between 5 and 10? or Probably... More? between four to six probably typically okay and how many times are you leaving here with methane a day uh, about once a day at the moment so that's just one round trip every day that we that we do deliver gas to the injection point the injection point is a six minute drive down the road to where gas networks ireland can take the plants methane and pump it into the main gas network supplying homes and industries around the country excuse my ignorance now but what river is this this is the gart river uh, it's officially called the canahauna the, the canahauna head of the river for David Murray from the Gort Biogas Concern Group, all of this feels like a lot of industrial activity very close to the centre of their town, with a high environmental toll if anything goes wrong. And it really is just directly on the other side of the road to the biogas plant location. Yes, yes. this is a really, really important river because this uh, flows for another probably three kilometres downstream, goes underground and eventually flows into Cool Lake, which is probably Europe's most famous and most protected Thurlock. And that also underlines something about this landscape, doesn't it? That you don't really know where all of this water is running to because the unique nature of a karst landscape. Yeah, I mean, the closest swallow hole to here is actually about 400 metres, or sorry, 200 metres up the road here. And the biggest, biggest concern that we have is, is about 100 metres from here. I mean, we're only 10 metres from the site, but 100 metres from here, geotechnical investigations have found uh, a deep fissure underneath the site where the, the tanks are supposed to go. What are your concerns for public health arising from this? Well, I suppose a, a plant of this size uh, and scale, it's an industrial-sized plant. And, and as with all industry, industrial-sized plants, um, you have to consider uh, the emissions. We're worried that those plants will, will impact the people living in the environs of the plant. Are you not reassured when you look to the example from the continent and say, hang on a second, this is actually being done safely right in the middle of towns? In a lot of countries. Yeah, and, and that probably, that's probably down to some of the regulations. Um, we don't have very, very strong regulations here. There are agencies like the EPA, which monitor the activities and emissions from plants like these, but they don't have a role at this stage, planning permission, to reassure the public. In fact, nobody does. There is an information vacuum in Gort, and it has filled with local anxiety. The developers of the facility didn't respond to any of Countrywide's invitations for them to participate in this programme. But Billy Costello did. I don't think there's any public health uh, concerns. Otherwise, you wouldn't have them in the cities in Germany and in England. And, you know, you go to the Point Depot and you've got an incinerator right in the middle of Dublin. So it does, it, it, the, all of the emissions are controlled by the EPA and they're very, very stringent. 
Billy owns and runs the anaerobic digester I visited in Kildare, but he lives just up the road from Gort outside Chewham. In the absence of the developers, he stepped forward to explain what the people of Gort did and didn't have to worry about. To what extent do you end up increasing the HGV traffic in an area, though? Not an awful lot. If there was farmland in in an area, people were probably bringing slurry or bringing waste and spreading fertiliser and all that. I'd say if if there was a complete study done on it, you don't create a, a massive amount. Smell control, the odour control, is something that people have a lot of worry or fear about in these plants. How do you do that and what do you do? The EPA are very stringent. All of the product that comes in has to come into an enclosed space. Any um, fumes or anything that comes off goes through a biofilter before being put up. You should be able to pass it, like in Germany, middle of a city, and you don't see it, you wouldn't smell it. So does that address any public health concerns that might arise from the presence of a plant in a populated area? I don't think there's any public health uh, concerns. Otherwise, you wouldn't have them in the cities in Germany and in England. And Have there been incidents? Have there been public health scares associated with any of the facilities in Germany? Uh, not that I've ever heard of, no. There's 10,000 biogas plants in Germany. And there's uh, public health. I've never heard of an issue or anything like that. Billy Costello there. I'm joined to talk about this a little bit further by Dr. Kira Bosang, who studied anaerobic digestion and environmental sustainability for her PhD at UCD, and on the line by Barry Caslin, energy and rural development specialist with Chagas. Good morning to both of you. Thank you very much for joining us. Kira, let's pick up on the health fears issue there, uh, first of all. Have you any? I, I can't say that I have any particular concerns around health issues. I mean, uh, as Billy has said, anaerobic digestion is an established technology. Um, but I suppose I can see the concerns of, of the local group because it's a it's a relatively new technology in that particular area. And when there's an information vacuum, you know, that doesn't help to alleviate some of the concerns that they may have. But from my perspective and, and the research that I've done, I wouldn't have any particular concerns about, you know, local health areas for the plant. Yeah. Barry, one of the concerns was they said that the uh, digestate is unregulated and that there could be all kinds of contaminants in it when it's spread on the land locally. Is that the case? Morning, Philip. Um, No, it wouldn't be the case at all. It's actually a very highly regulated industry. You have to register with the EPA. You have to have Department of Agriculture and Food and Marine uh, 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 certification if you're using animal byproducts. So it is very, very well regulated. I think that it's, you know, the point has been made already, the fact that this technology has been adopted all over Europe. We're one of the last countries in Europe to be adopting AD at any any kind of scale. And it's going to ramp up quite a bit between now and 2030. And I think that we've learned from the mistakes that have been made in other countries right across Europe. And I think that there's been a lot of learnings in terms of research. And I think that our industry is going to be taking that on board. What about the unknown unknowns here, Kira? Like putting something into a karst landscape, and you know, accidents might happen. Well, indeed, but I mean, for for any anaerobic digestion plant, uh, it's going to require either a waste permit from a local authority or an industrial emissions licence from the Environmental Protection Agency, um, depending on the scale of the plant and how much feedstock it's taking in. So So just because something has gotten permission from onboard Planola doesn't mean that it's actually going to go ahead. There is going to be another level of scrutiny for it to pass through. Indeed, indeed. And uh, a plant may also require an environmental impact assessment. And I think that would be particularly relevant if it's in a sensitive 
sensitive area, a sensitive environment, if there's any development that's going to take place, that's where an environmental impact assessment is going to be relevant. What about location here, Barry? Do you uh, have any sympathy for those who say, look, this is going to be within 900 metres of the town square in Gort? Should these things be more properly put into more rural areas? I think public consultation is very important in all of this. I think any kind of a development, whether it's a wind farm, a solar farm, uh, a biogas plant, it needs public consultation because there is a lot of, I suppose, uncertainty with with the general public about these plants. I've seen many of them in Germany, in France, in 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 uh, Denmark, and you know they've been actually in the towns built within a town. So they're municipal parts of the municipality. They're supplying heat. They're supplying electricity for the local grid for the local uh, village uh, and it's it's a common practice but I do think that it is important to allay any fears that you know that that the general public are aware of what due diligence has been taken care of in terms of meeting the requirements of the environment it's very very well regulated in terms of EPA licensing uh, local authority licensing waste permitting um, um, animal byproducts regulations so it's, uh, I think it's very very well regulated much to the point that Many people are put off the idea of building a plant that is so highly regulated. And there is something of an information vacuum in Gort at the moment, uh, which is perhaps uh, to be regretted. Kira, let's just look at the, the big picture here. There is a, a kind of an elegance to what it is that anaerobic digestion offers, that if we were, as we've been discussing earlier on in the programme, to destock some beef farms, well, then there's an alternative enterprise in selling grass in the form of silage to anaerobic digesters, which can then sell back digestate to the farmers to spread on their land and fertilise instead of using chemical fertilisers. It's it's um, well, very elegant, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is quite elegant. Um, you know, in theory, if it's a it's a circular closed loop system whereby you have the feedstock supplied to the digester and that can supply the digestate, which is the organic fertiliser, back to the land. Um, I suppose in practice, we need to see, you know, how circular and how closed of a loop that can actually be. Um, the sustainability of any given uh, biogas plant is really going to depend on the agricultural system upstream and the energy system that's down stream. So for the feedstock that's going in and in Ireland there's a really good emphasis on grass silage that has a good potential as a feedstock particularly because it produces a lot of energy and you know it's abundant in Ireland in terms of the grass that we produce. But in order to meet the sustainable criteria in the Renewable Energy Directive that grass silage must be produced with minimum uh, inorganic uh, chemical nitrogen fertiliser. So we need to be minimising that chemical fertiliser and we need to be looking at things Using like the digestate instead. Yeah. Using the digestate, but also, you know, to, to make sure we're increasing the grass silage yield, we need to be looking at things like multi-species swords uh, or red clover mixes to really uh, increase and boost the, the yield of the grasses without needing that inorganic fertiliser. Uh, Barry, with your ear to the ground, what's your sense or your feeling about how farmers, how ready they are to adopt this and move into supplying grass to anaerobic digesters rather than uh, producing cattle? Yeah, I think it depends on where you go uh, within the country. Certainly, there's um, a lot of farmers are very, very interested in it. You have a lot of beef farmers around the country and sheep farmers where the profitability within those sectors would be very, very low. You have a lot of people who are part-time farming who are probably looking at the idea of producing grass silage to feed into digesters and become part of a, a cooperative type initiative to supply digesters across the country. At this point in time, it's very, very new. We don't know what the... I suppose the, what's available in terms of payment per tonne of silage or per tonne of grass that could go into a digester. 
But I think there's a, a genuine interest there that there's an opportunity here for farmers to maybe move away from cattle production to, into grass production to feed a digester. And that, that and that's an option that has been taken right across Europe by many, many farmers. And it's a, an option of either producing uh, beef or milk or sheep or else producing energy. So I think that we are going to see a massive change uh, in terms of our land use. And we will see options for farmers to produce energy from the land. And I suppose as a as a country, we export over 90% of our beef. We export over 90% of our dairy produce. So we have an, op- and we import, uh, you know, over 70% of our energy. So there's an opportunity here to get a balance there that we can look at how we can actually produce more energy from the land and also be sustainable in terms of food production. So we do export mm-hmm. quite a bit, but we import a lot of energy. So a balance can be found there. Okay. About 66% of our beef farmers in the country are either they're they're not viable or they're just sustainable because it's an off-farm job. So if they can create a sustainable income from the land that they've available to them by supplying grass into Indeed, a digester... But that depends, as you say, on the price that they're going to end up being paid yeah. for. Kira, on the energy issue, are we doing the right thing with the biomethane that's being generated here? Because there are some environmentalists who would say that by pumping a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of uh, biomethane into the gas pipeline, what you're actually doing is greenwashing a fossil fuel. Yeah, it's it's a it's a relevant question because um, I suppose in terms of the industry targets that's there at the moment, if we look at maybe 125 biogas plants, they'd be 20 gigawatt hours in scale. That's giving you 2.5 terawatt hours in terms of biomethane produced, and that constitutes about five percent of our current supply. So to roll out 125 biogas plants, that would be quite a big initiative, and it's a relatively small amount then in the context of our overall natural gas supply at the moment. So there, there's a question, I suppose, in terms of what's the best use for that biomethane? Is it injecting it into the gas grid or should we could, could we look at other options in terms of using it as a transport fuel for heavy goods vehicles, which is a sector which, okay. which is quite difficult to decarbonise? So put it into trucks and lorries rather than into the pipeline. 